You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industry. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm with Christopher Schreiber, who is the head of marketing at Quiller. And he has had a long and very rich career in uh, B2B product marketing. And I'd like him to give us a little bit of his background. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, excited to be here and, and to, to chat with you. You want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, uh, head of marketing at Quiller. And um, you know, my career has largely been in, in the technology space. I started at Google, um, working in, out of a Silicon Valley office in Mountain View for about four years and worked on uh, more on the consumer side. I was involved in the launch of a number of their large consumer apps. Uh, after that, I, I've really been working with growth stage technology companies. So uh, led marketing for companies in the advertising technology space, uh, in the CMS space, uh, and now uh, at Quiller. Mm-hmm. And what have you learned and what similarities do you see through those experiences at, at companies like, um, I can see Launch Squad and Share Through and Brandcast. Now, now that you've been in so much product, uh, product growth, companies what what type of trends or patterns have you seen throughout your career yeah i mean i think what's what's always sort of attracted me and where i've seen like the the biggest successes is really around sort of category creation um you know products that that don't just try to sort of come into existing markets and offer slight sort of improvements or incremental gains but really try to flip the paradigm uh and for me it's it's always been in the b2b space but but it's really been trying to sort of break down walls and, you know, whether that's in and taking out sort of big roadblocks or challenges that were there uh, or just kind of like creating much uh, more sort of meaningful results or, or efficiencies. And so, um, you know, what I've found is that like it, it's not easy to, to create new categories, but to the victor goes the spoils. And it's a mix of, of meeting people where they are. Um, you know, speaking about problems that, that are, are verified and hard to solve and then sort of taking that, that problem spe- statement and leading them to, to a new sort of product category. And that sort of combination I, I found can work across a lot of different uh, types of products. Mm-hmm. My understanding of, of new category creation, as you, as you put it, to the victor goes the spoils. So you have the uphill battle of trying to show people something that they didn't really know was already there and convince them that they need it. But then if you're successful in doing that, um, the likelihood of you taking a number one position in that new category is very, very high. Mm-hmm. Is that basically what it, the way that you think about it? That's right. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, as you start to create a new conversation and you get people excited and you create space for others to participate in that conversation, you know, you can drive a lot of opportunity for yourself that can be, uh, you know, can kind of snowball 
uh, versus trying to compete on on highly competitive, you know, terms for a very established category, which which is also a you know a strategy as well. But but I think you know for me, my experience has really been more in trying to trying to transform, trying to create new categories. And we were doing that even at Google. You know, we we were, we were really transforming a number of categories that I was working on. Yeah. And how are you doing that now at Quiller? Well, Quiller, I think it's it's sort of a similar playbook in terms of meeting people where they are. Um, and for us, it's about you know just higher performing, uh, more efficient kind of sales proposals. But then, as they kind of step into our world, realizing the the broader value that we can give and what we are are talking about as a smart document system uh, mm-hmm. for bus- for business teams, and so. Uh, we are very much discovering or being discovered through um, a lot of companies typically like looking for a better solution for proposals or potentially even for e-sign. And then mm-hmm. as they come in, we start to educate them about all these sort of interconnected use cases that you can do with Quiller because Quiller is a very flexible tool. Uh, and so you can essentially apply the, the content creation capabilities to create a sales proposal, but you can also do things kind of upper funnel in terms of marketing content and lead gen content or lower funnel uh, or even post-sale like customer content. Um, And it starts to become very sort of flexible, like system of record for content that's also hooked in to all your Mm -hmm. data and systems. And so it's sort of a different way of operating, but what companies find is, oh, wow, I'm starting to like really collapse kind of three or four products into one with you yeah. and and there's a lot of efficiencies that come there. At a minimum it seems to me that you're collapsing these signature tools and proposal software. Um, are there any other categories that you're that you're gobbling up? Yeah, so like I was just talking to um and and that's right very much. I mean even collapsing proposals and and e-signature is a meaningful advance since those are right now usually two two different products that you're investing in to do that, but you know, I was talking to a customer the other day and he was saying, you know, when we started the search, I was looking for a new solution for contract management. Um, so that was primarily more around kind of e-signature tools that, that we're going to integrate with CRM. And I was also doing a search for content management systems uh, for our business team so we could figure out a better way to create sales enablement content, marketing content. And then we found you and we realized, oh, wow, this is actually all of this. This is e-signature. This is content creation and management. And it's also insights and analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are sort of all categories that we we have found sort of converging in our in our platform. I think for yeah. us, like we sort of think of it as, as three sort of pillars, which is like design, transaction, automation. And today those are usually like all three sort of different products that you're investing in to do these things. Yeah, the interesting. The analytics side is very interesting too, because that, in a way, starts to encroach on the sales enablement category a little bit. Exactly, I, I, I think that's right. But I think at the same time, you know, people want fewer logins. <laughs> you know, they yeah. they want tools that can do a lot. Absolutely, um, they'll they'll go to the one that has you know sort of the best combination of easy use plus results. But the fewer the logins, the better, and and so mm-hmm. we, we see that as a strength for us. I think in general, um, I'll tell you a quick side story here. Uh, I was listening to a podcast from the CEO of of ClickUp, and it was right after they had that big that big raise a, f- yep. a few months back. Yeah, and he described this as SaaS 3.0. Hmm. So SaaS 1.0 was 
really the, the, when most of these apps were not yet in the cloud. In fact, so it wasn't really SaaS at that point. But they, they were bundled, like Microsoft Office was a bundle, and Adobe, the Adobe suite was a bundle. And then SaaS 2.0 came along, and um, well, actually, maybe SaaS 1.0 was really moving those bundles into the cloud, let's say, but still bundles. Mm-hmm. And then SaaS 2.0 was an unbundling and a fragmentation. And I think that's where we're right at the end of right now, because at some point, people realized as the, the SaaS landscape got more and more fragmented and there just become, became tools that were so highly specialized in doing very, very specific things like take, for example, just e-signature, but only e-signature or just time tracking, but not with project management or anything else. And this was very useful. And I think those companies you know, got some good, good valuations and either had... Um, successfully sold or got integrated into other other tools but the users got to the point where wow my ta- my saas stack is now something like 25 tools i mean i'm asking my team as you said to log into maybe a dozen different saas tools every day and try to and try to get keep the work going across this this very complex stack and so saas 3.0 which is how zeb from ClickUp described it is a rebundling in the cloud. So the, the bundling that took place in the really in the '90s with with uh, Microsoft Suite, Adobe, is now happening in the cloud by um, taking this fragmented landscaping and bringing it back together. So uh, apps like ClickUp, for example, which we use now, is combining project management with time tracking, and we use it for now our applicant tracking system. Our OKRs are about to move in there. And we're even looking at it as a CRM um, in the near future. So it's basically has already replaced three or four tools and probably will replace two more in the near future. And I think I see that happening also in in your space too, because I don't know how much longer an e-signature tool can stand alone by itself. Um, And I think also there's a lot of tools for, for creating rich content, but then getting client buy-in on that in a documented way with analytics and a signature, you know, to me, that's a nice, that's a nice example of a rebundling. Um, did I describe that fairly or do you see it in a different way? You know, I, I hadn't heard it put maybe like as, as kind of concisely as that, like the sort of SAS 3.0 um, re rebundling. <laughs> I forget exactly the term that you use, but I think that's totally right on. Um I, I do think like you, yeah, you saw all these advancements in that sort of SaaS 2.0 space of, of companies that offered all of these efficiencies, but on a very specific uh, category. And it was just, it was so much better than what you were doing before that you saw all these, you know, individual product categories sort of pop up. And, and a lot of it was just basically like taking something that wasn't in the cloud and moving it into the cloud and, mm-hmm. and all the good stuff that happened there. And so now, when yeah, such a high percentage of the tools are in the cloud now, now you can sort of reintegrate a lot of them and then create sort of new value then from the the fusion of things and and they also become yeah like more more multi layered tools um, and I think that's totally right on when I, when I see sort of the the companies that <clears throat> that seem like they're really you know changing work and growing fast like notion or like slack um Mm -hmm. or you know and and certainly ourselves like it's it's not as it's it's hard on the marketing side because you're like well how do i explain this in one sentence when there's so many layers to what we can do 
Um, yeah, the lines, that, the lines are a little blurry between these categories now. Yep. And that's, I think, you know, for me, a, a lot of what the category creation work has, has been kind of throughout my career is, is not necessarily introducing like an entirely new thing that was never possible before versus a new convergence of, of products and efficiency that wasn't possible for and finding some language to give you just sort of a, a, a vocabulary to talk about it. Right. I talk to my team here a lot. Um, we have, we have several clients that are in similar cases and we're trying to, we're still trying to use the, the classic channels like paid search to, to achieve customer acquisition growth. And we have this concept called adjacent intent, which means that we're not going to find the perfect keyword because we are, we're pivoting a category here. So we need to find the adjacent keywords. We need to find keywords that are similar, like the first cousins or so of, of, our, of our specific target keyword. But because our target keyword, our, our perfect keyword has such, such little volume, we've got to search around for adjacent intent. And then once we find that adjacent intent, so let's say for you, adjacent intent might be signature tools because you do that plus other stuff. Um, and of course, you're going to have to compete with maybe the more pure players in that space. But then there needs to be, in terms of communication and messaging, there needs to be some sort of a bridge from, as you said, meet them where they are, but then build a bridge to where you want to take them. And that is the essential element there is how do you communicate at that moment? Hey, I know you're looking for an e-signature tool. We can give you a very good one, but plus all this other stuff that can make your life simpler. So you don't have to send a PowerPoint presentation, then later follow up with a, with a hello sign document. Um, but you could just do it, do that in one experience and just imagine your workflow becoming simplified in that way where you're not sending uh, two things, uh, but you're just sending, sending one thing. Um, so that's how we think about we think about this is identifying the adjacent intent and of course the keywords that come with it, and then and then thinking about how to build a communication bridge over from that side to our side. Um, have you found yourself doing something like that when when it comes to just even digging into things like the keywords that you want to target, Quiller? Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I think um, you know a lot of times companies have sort of the opposite. Um, problem view where it's like the the main keywords are are really high trafficked and really really competitive and so companies look for adjacent keywords just because they're you know they're, they're not as competitive to place on even though the traffic can be lower um, it can sometimes also be a little bit more qualified so you know we're probably you know we're, we're probably a little bit in that camp where some of the macro keywords for us, whether it's, you know, proposal, proposal software or like e-signature, e like high traffic, but highly competitive. And so we look for adjacent keywords that, you know, maybe combine those products with target industries or with kind of a more specific um, search that they're looking for that, that can be more kind of active action oriented. Um, you know, such as like looking for specific types of templates. We have, we have a very large template gallery and that that's been a very like effective strategy for us in terms of mm -hmm. coming in through, through SEO and SEM. Um, and I think, yeah, that sort of that bridge um, from where meeting people where you are, are and what they're searching for into, um, you know, introducing maybe a larger solution. You know, I think that's, that's part of where companies 
tend to cross over from like a product-led solution to a sales-led um, solution. So like product-led, I think you need to stay very focused. And if you're trying to drop someone into a free trial based on a search term, you want to have a very sort of continuous experience there um, and not sort of confuse them with, with other solutions that they haven't sort of shown intent for versus um, you know more sales-led opportunities where you might have gotten someone in through the free trial, through demo requests, through <clears throat> targeted keywords, but then, you know, really training your sort of sales team to figure out what that problem is that they're solving and be able to speak very efficiently to, okay, we can solve this problem, but we can actually drive even more value and, you know, helping the team, helping train the team on, on you know, bringing up relevant case studies, bringing up sort of ROI metrics. So, um, you know, the, the buyer can sort of, hear stories that sound like them and say, okay, so that company was also looking for an e-signature solution and then came to you for, uh, or ended up working with you on all these other things. Okay. That's interesting. Um, Cause I think, you know, people mm-hmm. want to hear that they, they don't, very few want to be the first, <laughs> particularly when yeah. they're spending their, their company's money and, and being able to communicate, um, you know, stories that have clear results that have sort of a narrative and story arc that, that allow people to see themselves within it is is an important piece of that that sort of bridge to the to the new category conversation mm-hmm. um i'm actually on the website now and i wanted to, to dig a little bit deeper into how how you all are balancing product-led growth versus sales-led because i do notice you've got both both calls to action going on mm-hmm. um first question i have for you is just generally what is the ratio of conversions between people that opt for um, basically the, the, the free hands-on product-led growth experience versus book a demo call? Um, so essentially like the, what, what conversions are you trying to dig into? You're looking at basically like kind of new customer conversion for a demo request flow versus a free trial flow. Yeah, just just proportionally, how many of the how many of your leads opt for a sales demo versus a just the free trial I see. or the, the freemium? <clears throat> I mean, it's definitely a majority that are coming in through the free trial. Okay, um, and we have sort of a third lane, which is anyone uh, that's coming through the free trial. We <clears throat> we collect a lot of information um, about them through that process. Yeah, and then that is essentially processed through. Um, a series of filters that um, sort of tell our team like, Hey, this is a new, a new lead in the free trial flow. Um, This may be worth like a proactive conversation. And Mm -hmm. so we'll have sort of like a a sales assisted flow there where they're in the free trial, but there's, there's, there's opportunities throughout that free free trial sign up, depending on like the information that you've provided to us that, Mm -hmm. um, can sort of naturally like lead to conversations with, with our team. Um, gotcha. And also, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just like signals for our team to, to potentially reach out and talk. So I, I just did it and I'm now, I'm now looking at my test proposal, which is beautiful by the way. Um, and um, because I, I self-identified as an agency with 50 employees, am I, am I about to get a phone call? I gave, I gave the phone number too. Yeah. I mean, it's a little more, like sophisticated in that, like that, that would certainly like meet the the minimum threshold 
um, or potentially get an outreach, but then there's, there's a lot of information that's, that's being collected about, about mm-hmm. um, you that would sort of give the team like more information about whether to reach out or not. Gotcha. And is there any actual in-product signals, uh, usage signals? Like if I really started customizing this, this sandbox that I'm in right now, do you use any, any of that kind of data to determine that this is now a high value prospect that needs a, that needs an immediate email or some, some special approach? Hmm. I mean, so we, we have sort of a, an evolving activation metric, which essentially signals to us like higher propensity to become um, like a, basically like a, a high value customer to us. Mm-hmm. those those metrics are important in terms of tracking like forecasting what we think we're going to be able to deliver revenue wise from from what's currently in our funnel but they're not really used for um like signals for outreach like that essentially happens mm-hmm. before you've even started using the product we've, we've collected like the information to decide like are we going to do a proactive outreach but yeah. i'd say you know that the flip the opposite is true in terms of like if we've seen um you know, if, if, if your kind of profile gives us a number of signals that this could be like a really good fit customer for us and, and we've seen sort of less product engagement, that would almost be more of a driver for, for outreach than like, um, than, than higher value product engagement. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, how many, how many salespeople do you have currently at Quiller? Um, yeah, that number is growing. I'm, I'm not sh- sure exactly what the, the specific number is right now, but we've got, we've got sales offices in APAC region and North America and in Europe. Um, and, and, you know, what we found, I mean, we, the company was founded in Sydney, um, and has sort of the most mature, um, sales office there, but, but essentially across the board, like markets are growing and, um, yeah, so we're, we're growing both on like the more kind of senior account executive, senior account executive side, and then also building out BDR team. Mm-hmm. And what I can see is one of your ideal customer profiles is probably some someone like me, uh, an agency leader. Um, and I think over the last few years, the digital agencies have grown tremendously. How important is that? How important is that sector or that uh, that persona for you all? Uh, you know, it, it's definitely like high, high value for us on multiple levels. I think um, just as like they're they're good customers, they they tend to like be power users of the product, tend to um, create really like attractive looking content, which are all sort of great like case studies and what's possible with the product. But then there's also a lot of partnership um, opportunities that we're starting to open up with agencies. So particularly agencies that kind of like specialize in Salesforce or HubSpot um, implementations and have customers that work with them there. Those are um, great partnerships for us because we've got integrations on top of both. And, you know, those allow, it creates sort of new business lines for these agencies. Okay, now I can start to set up more like sales enablement, um, you know, workflows for my clients and, and open up new new opportunities for the agency. And then, um you know, also just for, for us, as we get sort of more and more businesses trying to do content types that we haven't even sort of tried before, it's an opportunity for us to give kind of referral business out to agencies. So yeah, we, we really like that channel. Great. Um, 
let's talk let's talk about now your own uh, your own digital marketing and I've, I've taken a look at some statistics at least according to to Ahrefs um, organic traffic has been has been pretty strong although it seemed like as of about um, November of last year there was some uh, probably resulting in a Google algorithm update but you all took a took a pretty big hit and haven't and have been on a slightly downward trajectory on organic traffic since then um, what what are you doing um, to to try to maintain or to grow organic traffic to the site yeah yeah that's a good question um, you know we're kind of, we're kind of thinking through that I think like the space has definitely become like more and more competitive um, in this category and so kind of looking for opportunities um i think yeah to use your language are are somewhat adjacent um to some of those core use cases uh but also you know thinking about new content formats that we can put out that speak directly to those core use cases with with proposal software eSign, and so um for us you know it's trying to think of what are new opportunities to create really high quality content that can educate and so leveraging all the sort of great customer stories that we have to create sort of more rich customer centric case studies and content that can be optimized as well as investing more in research um, to deliver just more insights that might be able to, to kind of get more backlinks and, and kind of interest in the, in the industry. Backlinks. Yeah. I was thinking about backlinks just now. Is there any strategy where you can, you can have a, a nat- natural scalable backlinks coming from your templates that people use for free. <laughs> you know, I, it's funny because like the, my last company and this company that that's been this sort of open-ended question. Um, it's more of like a theoretical strategy so far than I've seen like someone really be able to pull it off. Um, but it cert- certainly seems like something that should work. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, yeah, I, I haven't seen it like actually executed to date. Mm-hmm. But are the templates themselves able to be to be used for free with branding, or you really need to have the, you need to be a customer of the product? Right? We don't have a full fledged free product right now. There has been um, mm-hmm. there has been free versions in the past, and very well maybe in the future. Right now, it's essentially a free trial. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. How, how long is the free trial? Uh, I think currently it's 30 days. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, and, and I'm just also t- taking, taking a look through the, um, through the blog and I'm, I'm curious as well. Um, actually, let me see just in terms of your overall content marketing strategy, it looks like at least every week you're, you're publishing a new blog post Mm-hmm. Is that according to a particular calendar, an editorial calendar, or how how do you all approach content marketing and content strategy? Yeah, it's it's been kind of roughly you know one to two posts per week for for a number of months now, and and all sort of very focused in the in just kind of the sales strategy space. So that can be around sort of sales technology, that can be around sort of more the human side of sales, and and particularly kind of speaking to the um, very current issues of kind of remote work and, and, you know, selling, uh, selling remotely. Um, And, 
<clears throat> and so, yeah, I think, you know, going forward is we're going to stick with that, but start to layer in kind of uh, more varied content formats. So starting to create more, more guides, more sort of deeper content that uh, is going to come from like a number of investments that we're making on the, on the research side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also noticed this really cool tool called the document generator. Mm-hmm. Is this, um, how has this been for, for lead gen? There, there's a pack that I can get my hands on. Yeah. That, I mean, so that predated me. That was a few years ago, uh, essentially like a, a sub product that they, that they released through product hunt. Um, okay. and, but it, I mean, I, I think it was a really successful launch and, you know, it was, it was sort of this, as you say, like a pack of documents, Mm-hmm. um, that, that you could get through this. And, you know, we're, we're looking at sort of ways to refresh that cause it, it has had very good, like lasting power from an SEO standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I man, I think that that is, that is still very sort of like core to the vision of, of where we're trying to go, which is sort of a, a smart document system, a way to sort of create high performing, um, you know, wired up documents across your, your customer journey. And so, yeah, I, I really like what they did there in terms of, of, of releasing that sort of vision. This was like a fully, fully kind of automated flow that they tried to put together with templates for every single um, type of document that could drop you into the, to the app and, and sort of just give you like an out-of-the-box like business kit. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was, it, it was more geared towards companies that were really just getting going. Um, and, and we're kind of like smaller profile versus now we think we can do something like this, even for, for a larger company that's looking to essentially whole scale move that their PDF, uh, kind of universe of PDF documents online. Mm -hmm. How often do you see customers bringing in a large library of, uh, I don't know, PowerPoint presentations, PDFs versus just starting clean from scratch? Uh, it's, it's. Very frequently, you know, something, something exists today. I mean, you, you basically would have to be a fresh new company um, mm-hmm. to not have any of this collateral. So, yeah, yeah I'd say like the, the vast majority, like there's existing documents and they can either be in the PowerPoint PDF sort of downloadable universe um, or even mm-hmm. in like the Google Slides kind of universe. And this is, this is the opportunity that they're usually going to start with kind of a specific content format with us, whether it's going to be sort of the proposal or sort of contract management, something that tends to be like very kind of like um, lower funnel sales oriented to make sure it actually work and that they can replace their previous workflow with this. And then they start to expand out to other content formats, particularly when there's marketing teams involved there, Mm -hmm. that tends to really accelerate the process where they realize like, okay, this works for this core use case, you know, whether it's proposals or something like that. Um, now we've we've built some assets through this one document that wow these could be very easily repurposed and sort of yeah. they're, they're off to the races. Yeah, so really you get you get your foot in the door with um, the first set of users, and then they can introduce it to other teams or departments in the company as they start to see the, the flexibility of it. I suppose exactly. Yep. Yeah, I, I just couldn't resist. I'm digging into the top the top SEO pages now, and and almost all of them are templates. Mm-hmm. So the vast majority, if we exclude the homepage, vast majority of your um, organic SEO traffic is coming into these templates. So it seems like 
how many how many templates are are out there today roughly <laughs> that's a good question it's, it's yeah it's a really large template gallery i actually don't know the number off the mm-hmm. top of my head you know I, there's certainly like a a subset that's driving the majority of the seo traffic and then from that there's a subset of of those templates that we see that really gotcha. convert yeah. at, at a higher level mm-hmm. um and you know, there tend to be sort of industry-centric, the, the templates that, that perform the best. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just kind of natural maturation of the business. We're starting to think through, like, all right, content strategies that can really speak to kind of industries on a more specific level beyond just the template. But the template was kind of the, the signal yeah. to us, like, hey, this, this, is a good, this is a good industry for us to focus on. What are other ways that we could speak to this industry directly? Yeah, I imagine a, a, pl- a pillar cluster content model, where the template the template itself acts like a pillar page, and connected to that pillar page are a bunch of cluster pages, which are essentially blog posts mm-hmm. that explain how you could be successful. So I'm looking at an AdWords proposal template, um, and I imagine there could be a whole lot of content written about. How to how to improve your if you're if you're a PPC agency how you can improve improve your proposal process how you can improve your sales process or how you can um, you know you know just build better proposals which is not something the content that would exist in that template but it would be supportive editorial content you can kind of build around like a cluster around the pillar of the template. Um, one thing that I definitely see missing, though, is the interlinking of the templates, which would give you an immediate SEO boost hmm. just to help the link juice flow um, horizontally across the templates. Mm-hmm. But you might you might think about about that as a um, not really for like in terms of just content ideas, but as a whole framework or a strategy, which is the, the so-called pillar cluster. Yeah, no, model. That, that's a really good idea. I, I, I hadn't actually quite sort of thought about it that clearly. Um, we've kind of been thinking about it in the inverse of, of of sort of pillar pages that speak to these industries as and as other vehicles to to drive to these templates. But you're right, the mm-hmm. going where the going where the traffic exists uh, makes a lot of sense, and then sort of adding in more more educational and ins- insightful content within that hub just makes it even more useful. Yeah, I mean, I think the hubs the hubs are naturally there already just by by virtue of the fact that almost all the organic traffic is coming to templates mm-hmm. right now. So you've already established that in a way you've already established that authority with Google. So then you just, you try to just leverage off of that with editorial content that's connected to it. The linking architecture is important too, because the, the related cluster pages should all link into the template. And, and I don't know if that's happening and the template should link out to, to many of the blog posts as well, um, mm-hmm. along with linking to each other. So the most similar template maybe for a AdWords proposal might be, I don't know, maybe just a more generic digital marketing proposal, but you know, similar, even just having like similar templates to the one you're looking at can be an easy way to, to do the cross linking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is, um, this is fascinating as I, as I dig more into the data, um, How's things going on the paid side? I mean, you all are you all seeing success with with channels like Google Google Ads and Facebook Ads and and anything else? Yeah, I mean, the, those are are probably the two biggest drivers right now. Um, is is doing you know bottom of funnel kind of keyword focused ad buying on 
on AdWords and, and as well as some of like the um, like software review sites that have very sort of similar types of, of ad buying um, strategies mm-hmm. to, to, to AdWords. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Facebook actually has, has performed kind of consistently well for us, even though, you know, you can, you can certainly have like a spirited debate of like, is, is there really intent there on Facebook to be looking for solutions like this? The reality is like we mm-hmm. are reaching the audiences um, and, and driving, you know, qualified leads at a, at a lower cost per than, than a lot of other channels we've experimented with. So, so Facebook has remained a part of the mix. Yeah, especially for remarketing. I mean, maybe you could argue that the intent might not be there on the first touch, but if you bring remarketing audiences into Facebook, it's usually the cheapest remarketing click that you can get mm-hmm. if, if you know you're getting in front of the right people who have already been on the website. Um, have, you, have you tested anything on LinkedIn ads? So I certainly have um, in other other roles I've had, and I've we've been talking a lot about like um, about starting that up. We haven't. I don't think the company has been too active there, but I think like you know LinkedIn I, I find to be a, a very sort of like content centric um, mm-hmm. you know environment, and and for us like we're just starting to like build that sort of like richer kind of B two B classic content library that would make more obvious kind of like marketing campaigns for, for LinkedIn. So I think that's coming mm-hmm. up in the next kind of quarter or two starting to, when, once the assets are in place, starting to test that out more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, and, and I see in the use cases section here that something really stands out to me, which is what, what I wasn't expecting is there are three, use cases or three personas that, that are called out here, B2B sales, which I'd expect agencies. Yes. And then recruitment, which seems to take the product in a different direction uh, because it's no longer a proposal, but what is this a, is this something like a candidate hire page that, that um, is a different type of a use case for recruiters? So I, I, I will agree with you right away that I did like, did not see that coming. <laughs> When when I was um when I was interviewing and thinking about it, and mm-hmm. yeah, this is one of those ones where you you just take like a clear eyed look at your customer base and look at um you know who's got sort of lowest churn, like happiest NPS scores, and start to interview them. And so um you know we found that a number of of like HR and recruiting firms use us for essentially like. Um, higher end uh, recruitment documents. So that could be like the profile for the candidate that they're trying to place or for like very kind of customized, um, essentially job description pages. It can be sort of a mix of things. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, a number of them have just have kind of um, have, have found a lot of success with Quiller. And so, you know, that's <clears throat> that's one of kind of like multiple not so obvious um, use cases that that we're mm-hmm. going to start to just like promote more with the platform because it, it is just a very kind of flexible content creation tool and and so as as you as the awareness grows and and particularly as we start to like succeed within the sales department and and expand within the company you know we're going to start to add you know just more use cases and more examples of things you can create and and yeah, to your kind of earlier analogy with, with ClickUp, you know, we, we think there's 
there's there's quite a bit of, of value you can create with Quiller across multiple departments because there's mm-hmm. you know just like a similar goal of hey we want to create um, you know hot good looking content quickly that is you know powered by a system that allows us to reuse assets efficiently and that's true across you know a lot of different departments a lot of different use cases within the marketing and sales departments. Mm-hmm. Something is is still slightly bothering me about about this recruitment, though, and, it, and I think it, what it is, it's the brand. Because could you have a single brand that represents both number one in in category proposal software, but at the same time a recruitment? I mean, should should there be some sort of a sub branding approach, or maybe even a rebranding of the recruitment tool, um, rather than have everything under the single brand Quiller? Or maybe I don't know. How do you all think about about that? Has that ever been discussed? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think for sure, as it is, it kind of it it stands out a little bit of like, hey, this this doesn't kind of connect with the majority of like the story that we're telling on the website today. Um, it feels yeah. a, little, a little far afield. So it feels yeah, a little disjointed maybe. And I think you know that's that though. I think we'll fall more in line as as we start to roll out um, this positioning of this kind of smart document system versus kind of a more direct kind of just proposal software positioning. Um, mm-hmm. And because right now, yeah, it feels all very, very sort of just lower funnel sales content focused. And, you know, we think that the play here is is a much sort of broader set of use cases. And so I, I, mm-hmm. I think the as we evolve the positioning, which, you know, exists kind of more in the internal side right now than does the external, then seeing, you know, recruitment use cases and some other use cases that don't fall directly in that, in that lower funnel sales content will make more mm-hmm. sense. But I think you're right mm-hmm. that like you do got to make decisions in terms of, mm-hmm. well, how holistic a solution are we offering? You know, if you're going to yeah. offer a solution to recruitment, there's a lot of other things that those companies are going to care about that like other industries or functions really will not care about. And so there's, mm-hmm. there's trade-offs and decisions that your product team needs to make then that sort yeah. of dictate how you hard could, you go from the marketing side. You could cut it. I mean, you could cut it across the other dimension and do something like tw- uh, Quiller for agencies, which is a mm-hmm. complete solution of proposals for clients and, 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 um, and a recruitment solution of like, Basically, as an agency, I mean, the two major things that I think about is my next client and my next hire. And and if I had a solution that could both bring me my next client and bring me my next great employee, hmm. that would be pretty cool. I mean, and then it would be so it would be a rebranding across across your your um, more more in alignment with with your with your ICP or your or your primary persona being, let's say, an agency. Where I would, um, and I have some other different recruitment tools, but if I could use Quiller, both both for my recruitment needs, and I could, I could make myself really stand out among any other hiring agencies, and at the same time stand out among any agencies that would be um, that I'm competing with for clients. That could be interesting too. Um, and then maybe another B2B sales solution that that could be. I mean, B2B sales is so much broader though than than just agencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so those those three things are, are are all quite different. I mean, B two B sales is um, it's it's more like a um, an entire sector where agencies, I would say, would would be more like a uh, maybe an industry, and then recruitment is more like a job function that exists within almost every company. Um, 
Yep. So maybe it's just thinking about how, how to rebrand across which, which primary dimension, by job function, by a certain industry, or by an actual sector. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think mm-hmm. you're, it almost feels like you're sitting within our internal marketing meetings. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what I like is like that the 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 personas that you're calling out that are, that are highlighted on the website, like those those are not theoretical. Those are like data-driven processes that turned up like, hey, we've got really happy customers um, in these verticals. Like, let's start the process of starting to speak to them more directly and and deliver, you know, more customers that look like them. So mm-hmm. it's all real, even though it, it's all kind of somewhat different from each other. And the, you know, the, the challenge and the opportunity from the marketing side is like, hey, this is a very flexible tool. It, it, it works well for very different use cases. Now, how do we come up with sort of macro positioning that makes, that allows us to operate within these different functions and have a coherent uh, positioning, but then also like, let's start to go a lot deeper on, on the personas that we're speaking to here. So we feel like we have a much more complete solution for them and, and kind of both are very much in process right now. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, Chris, this, this has been fantastic. Really fascinating discussion. I think we covered a lot of ground. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think could benefit our audience? No, yeah, I, I agree. I thought this was a really good discussion. I, I definitely appreciate the the depth of your thought here. Um, you know, it's great to to have have you, you know, bring bring your thoughtfulness into this and the sort of the, the breadth of, of perspective you had. So no, I, I appreciate the conversation. Great. Well, I think we can wrap up and I really appreciate your time, Chris, and have a great day. Likewise. Thanks so much. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.